Hey, good morning. We're we're trying to film this to beat the storms that are coming into uh, Birmingham, and I hope you've got your copy of God's Word. I'm going to take you to a very fascinating passage, a very fascinating psalm, Psalm 44, and uh, this is the community lament. This is the first one that uh, David did not write that we've looked at uh, thus far. I'm going to give you quickly, I think, the history here. I think this is Hezekiah. Um, Psalm 46, 47, and 48 all deal with Hezekiah and the Assyrians. I think this is Hezekiah here. And I think this was his prayer as he watched these Assyrians get closer and closer and closer to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, they're going to encircle the city of Jerusalem, and only a direct intervention of God is going to save them. Now, let me let me tell you, there's a great book called, um, I think it's called The Seven Great Tipping Points in History. Uh, they say that the greatest tipping point in history was the deliverance of Jerusalem from the Assyrians, that it changed all of the rest of human history. I don't know how they judge that, but... Uh, it's pretty fascinating. And that's what I think is the background of this as Hezekiah watches these Assyrians come toward Jerusalem. Now take your copy of God's Word. I'm just going to walk you through this. Here it's divided into three parts, Israel's previous history, their present situation, and then their hope in God. Beginning in verse 1, you really can look at this and say, this is how I need to pray for the nation. How should we be praying for our, our country right now? Well, this may be the best pattern I know of to pray for our country right now, to remember back on what God had done. Listen to what he says. Oh God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days in the days of old. Now, I could take you back several places and show you where Israel is specifically told, you tell your children this, you tell your children about this, you remember, you remind your children what God has done. Well, that's what he's remembering. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. He's talking about settling the nation that God drove out the enemies, but God planted Israel, the Hebrews. Uh, for not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did they their own arm save them, but your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. He said, God, you're the one that did all of this. They may have been fighting the battles, but you were the one who gave them the strength and the victory. Now comes to the force, uh, the power here. You are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Though you, uh, through you, we push down our foes. Through your name, we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. Uh, but you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God, we've boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. Now, there it ends with this, this statement of joy. You know, in these days, I'll just make mention of this, uh, a very prominent leader of the house has said uh, that prayer isn't doing anything. That's not how we're going to come through this, this pandemic. Uh, a governor of, uh, uh, of the state of New York has said, the governor of the state of New York has said, 
um, that it's not God doing this. It's been his hard work, what they've been able to do. The government. Listen, let me tell you something. Um, if we come out of this, it'll only be by the hand of God. That's exactly what King Hezekiah was saying. He says, not in my bow do I trust. Not in our respirators do I trust. Not in our hospitals do I trust. Not in our government do I trust. It is God that saves us. Well, now that's the first eight verses. That's, that's the, that's the king looking back. Now there is going to be this dramatic change now, and he's going to talk about Israel's present situation. He's beginning to panic somewhat here because things are looking terrible. The Assyrians are coming. Uh, they have taken off Israel into captivity, the 10 northern tribes. Uh, they have taken Samaria, and they have taken all of these cities that surround Jerusalem uh, in, in the nation of Judah, and now they're going to surround the city of Jerusalem itself. Let me pick it up in verse 9. He's going to talk about them being defeated. And look at what he says. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out uh, with our armies. Uh, you have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. I think he's talking about Sennacherib's taking these 40, it was either 46 or 48 cities around Jerusalem there in the nation of Judah. And they watched one fall after the other after the other. And he's saying, God, you're, you're not with us. They're going to be deported. You have made us like sheep for the slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for trifle, demanding no high price for them. Now look at uh, look at what he says now in verse 13. You've made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. Everybody's laughing at him. Um, uh, Sennacherib's going to send his emissary to stand there, his ambassador to stand there and to tell Jerusalem, you'd better not count on God to save you because he hadn't saved any of these other cities. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughing stock among the peoples. All day long, my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and reviler at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. Now listen to the moral dilemma that they're in. They've had a great revival under Hezekiah in Jerusalem, and this is the question. God, we don't understand this. This doesn't make any sense. We, we've been living for you. All this has come upon us, though we've not forgotten you. And we've not been false to your, to your covenant. Our heart is not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you've broken us in the place of jackals, and you've covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread our hands out to foreign gods, would God not discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. And this is a quote by Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 36. For, 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 yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep for the slaughter. Um, Paul quotes that after a list of tribulations, after a list of listing things that happened to them. Uh, and he says, uh, you know, God, we're, we're, we're suffering all this. All of these things we're suffering. Now, this is the dilemma here, and we experience it, and you understand this. 
And that is, we try to follow the Lord, we try to do what's right, and then bad things still happen to us, and we struggle. Lord, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. We don't understand this. This doesn't make any sense to us. God, why are you allowing this? This is good King Hezekiah who is saying this. They wasn't a perfect man, but he was a very good king. And he had restored the worship of God. And that's what he's saying. Lord, we, we've not turned to idols. We've turned away from them and back to you. And so he's asking, he's saying, Lord, I, we don't understand. Listen, God is not going to give us an answer to every issue uh, that comes up in life that's not fair, that we struggle with, that's difficult. Now, let me tell you something, Christian. You just might as well get used to that. We, we, we don't see clearly. We see dimly, Paul says. One day, face-to-face, we will know as we are known. But right now, we see through a glass dimly. We, we see through a, a glass darkly. Uh, but now watch. Let me give you this. Here comes Israel's hope. They're going to hope in God. Um, it's, going to be, it's going to be that God, we're, we're going to, basically, what Hezekiah is going to say here is this. Is God, we're going to trust in you no matter what happens. If we can't explain it, we're still going to trust in you. If it doesn't make sense to us, we're still going to trust in you. Back when when Luther was in the beginning stages, really, the throes of the Reformation that was taking hold on uh, Germany and Europe, he was summoned by the Pope uh, to the Diet of Worms. Um, Alexander, who was the Pope's nuncio, was there. And he had stacked up all of these books and all of these pamphlets by Luther. And he says, I've got enough here to, to burn a uh, 100,000 heretics. So they send for Luther to come down to the Diet at Worms. Charles V, he was the muscle of the Pope. He was the Pope's muscle. He was the power behind the throne uh, in Rome. When Rome wanted something done, they turned to Charles V. Charles V is going to be there. All of these, all of these electors of the, the Holy Roman Empire, all of these governors, all of these princes of the Holy, this was a big to-do. And here comes a little monk in monk's garb with a rope tied around his waist, you know, uh, he he's he, it's going it's going to look like a little urchin standing next to the Queen of England is what it's got. You've got all of this power. You've got all of this display of the power of Rome and the power of the Holy Roman Empire. Charles V is there. All these other great princes are there. All of these princes of the church are there, representing the Pope. And in comes little Luther by himself standing against all of the other. Now, I want you to remember this. There was a, there was a knight in shining armor guarding the door there. And Luther hesitated at the door. And he stopped, fearful of what he was about to face, terrified of what he was about to face. All the power of the world was coming down on him. Luther said that this knight in armor reached up with that hand covered in armor and put it on his shoulder and whispered to him and said, pluck up thy spirit, little monk, 
Go on in in the power of God. Now listen to what Hezekiah says. Awake. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Now understand, this is not hopelessness. This is confidence in God. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Now he's saying this to God, confident that God's going to do something. Our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us. Now, this is the difference maker right here. For the sake of your steadfast love. The psalmist knows. Hezekiah knows. God loves me. He's steadfast. He's going to come through and he's going to deliver us. Now, that's how we can pray for our nation right now. We don't deserve God. He doesn't say, God, we deserve your, we deserve this. We've earned this. We deserve it. Uh, you should do it for us because we're just wonderful, great people. He doesn't say that. What he is saying is, Lord, I'm appealing to your mercy. We don't deserve it, uh, but we appeal to your mercy. Let me tell you something. America doesn't deserve uh, to be delivered by God. We have turned our back on the word of God. We have... We have made a mockery of marriage. We have, we have made a mockery of God's creation of male and female. We've made a mockery of it. We have turned to embrace what the Old Testament has called uh, uh, sin with a high hand in the Old Testament. As a whole nation, the government, we, we've, we've got an entire political party that has said we don't want God in our platform at all. Listen, let me tell you something. We don't deserve the hand of God, the saving hand of God. And we can't really say God because we're such a great nation. Oh, we do such good things. We may do such good things, but let me tell you, uh, your, good, your good works will not save you. All we can do as a nation is now appeal to the mercy of a good God. And just ask, God be merciful to us. There you have Psalm 44. In a way, we can pray for our nation.